BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Monday, February 5th, 2024. Larry Johnson joins us now. Larry, thanks very much uh, for your time. I'd Thank like you. to spend, of course, I'd like to spend a considerable amount of our time uh, talking about the American uh, attacks on sites in Iraq. But before mm -hmm. we do, um, I want your thoughts on the latest in uh, Ukraine. Some bizarre stuff has been happening uh, in the past four or five days. President Zelensky says he wants to fire General Zeluzhny. Zeluzhny's still there. Zelensky says he's going to fire him again. Zeluzhny, the general publishes a rather sophisticated but um, maybe un unduly optimistic piece. There it is uh, in CNN. The design of war has changed. The essence of the piece is we need more drones, we need more unmanned equipment, and we can win uh, this war at least stopped the uh, Russians from uh, moving westward. At the same time that is happening, the Prime Minister of Great Britain is sending, oh, we need a NATO expeditionary force uh, in uh, in Ukraine. Whatever an expeditionary force is, sh shades of uh, LBJ uh, in Vietnam. And then uh, Prime Minister Sunak says, we need a no-fly zone enforced by NATO and British jets over uh, Kiev. Is Ukraine on its last leg, and are all, are all of these things signs of a dead or dying regime? Yeah, this is this is like that final scene from the Titanic when everybody's in the cold water splashing about trying to grab something that still floats. Uh, they're on their way down. But, you know, it, it is really remarkable how clueless the Brits have become across the board. That, you know, think back at Dunkirk, they, ex they extracted, rescued 360,000 British troops. That was roughly the size of the British Army back then. Today, Sunak wants to send an expeditionary force. The Brits only have 70,000 soldiers. Well, mm. one of my buddies who's a retired Special Air Service, SAS guy, <laughs> he wrote, yeah, we could stick them in like Wembley football stadium and there'd still be room for 40,000 more people. So Britain has become, I, I call it a bedraggled poodle. Uh, it is uh, with no teeth and, and it barely can bark. You know, you just saw that uh, today they announced, oh, this, this aircraft carrier or the HMS, whichever, that was supposed to be, you know, taking the lead in the latest NATO uh, exercise that's underway. Uh, it had to pull out because its drive shaft wouldn't work. And then you got British ships running into each other. So these are the guys that are going to lead an expeditionary force into Ukraine. 
And, and meanwhile, in Ukraine, you've got complete disarray. Uh, I, I wanted to buy the rights for, uh, you know, from Netflix for the new telenovela, you know, the soap opera that would be called As Kiev Churns, because each day there are new reports that Zelensky's mad about this and Zeluzhny's mad about that, and Zelensky's going to get rid of Zeluzhny, and Zeluzhny says he's not going to go anywhere. I mean, it just goes on and on. So while these two are fighting, there is the fighting that's going on on the front lines shows that the Russians are making significant advances all along the front. And in fact, in Avdivka, it looks like uh, they have now cut the supply road, which means there's a significant number of Ukrainian troops now cut behind lines with no supplies. I don't remember if it was you or um, Scott Ritter <laughs> or Colonel McGregor who warned uh, that if Zeluzhny is fired, and if he is replaced by, I forget the fellow's name, the general who's in charge of intelligence. Budenov. Budenov. Okay. Budenov is in the pocket of MI6 and probably CIA. And right. he'll do what MI6 or CIA tell him to do, which might mean, you know, offensive weaponry fired into Russia. Is that a legitimate fear? Well, it's more the the, the strategy is, uh, and it's, this comes more from MI6. They think that the that the, now the most viable plan is to launch an insurgency against Russia, that that they can't beat Russia with conventional military force, so they're going to do an insurgency, a guerrilla war. And, and again, it shows the ignorance of the people in London and in Washington, D.C. They forget that from like 1999 to 2009, the Russians were engaged in a... 10-year counterinsurgency in Chechnya. They faced radical Islamists that are as, as vicious as ISIS. You know, these some of these, these, guys, these groups had stormed a school. They ended up killing 600 people, you know, mostly children. So Russia has experience fighting insurgencies, and it has clear experience in actually winning it, winning it to the point that now those Chechens are loyal Russians and some of the best fighters that Russia has on the front line. So this is this is Western stupidity, foolishness, that they think that uh, they can launch an insurgency. Russia's got all of the advantages in combating the insurgency. They speak the language. They know the territory, and they already have intelligence assets that have infiltrated all sectors of Ukrainian po political and military institutions. What is an expeditionary force? Is that just a, um, a euphemism for fighters out of uniform? Uh, it, it's like a it's like a salt block that you put out in the middle of a forest for a deer to come lick. That's what it is. It's bait. Uh, this is to give the this is to give NATO a reason to start fighting Russia. That's how crazy it is. Because they're also talking about oh, we'll impose a no fly zone. The, the, the West, even with its current air defense systems that have been deployed to Ukraine, cannot stop and shoot down Russian uh, hypersonic missiles. So it, it, this, is, this is madness. This is, these are desperate acts by countries that have no clue what they're doing, and they realize that Russia is winning and that they've now done everything possible they could to destroy Russia and Russia has just gotten gotten stronger with each attack, not weaker. Does the United States intentionally put troops into harm's way as sort of a, a 
reverse false flag, <laughs> expecting them to be uh, attacked and using that as an excuse to start or expand military activity? Uh, I would say no, normally, uh, but it doesn't mean that it couldn't happen. It's just that the the military guys I've known, even even the ones as, as bad as Petraeus and Ben Hodges, uh, not even, you know, they, they wouldn't stoop to that level. But but what happens is it, it that is the end result. In other words, they put them into a, a physical location with a particular mission, having not thought through what the implications of that are. And so, you know, by by putting them in Syria in these various bases like Al Tamf and Der, Der El Zor, that they give them this uh, mission basically to protect oil and to uh, provide, ensure that uh, Israel continues to receive oil. But the, they couch it that you know, you're fighting ISIS without thinking through the fact that these tribes that are out there in Western Iraq, you know, we like to call them, these aren't terrorists, but these are tribal groups and, and they're Shia. So you've got a combination of family ties and religion and you know they don't like outsiders, and so they're in a they're in a prime position to attack us. And every attack we launch on them is going to raise the level of desire for revenge, which means they're going to come after us more and more, not less and less. And that's that's the mistake that uh, the Biden administration is making. They think they can kill their way out of this, that we can kill enough of these people that they'll finally say, "Oh, we're exhausted, we give up." It's just the opposite. Is the only way out of it to get the hell out of there. I mean, Reagan took troops out of Lebanon. It was after 240 of them were killed, but he, he resisted the temptation to uh, accelerate the middle, military activity. He told the neocons of his day to go take a hike. Yeah. Well, what really concerns me, Judge, is how we've really gone down that slippery slope. You know, 30, 40 years ago, no president would necessarily consider launching military actions and carrying out airstrikes in another country without at least getting uh, uh, some sort of authorization from Congress. It, it's, it's, they, they recognize that it, getting congressional approval means that you've at least got some political backing, that right. you're not out there all by yourself. Or in addition, you know, we, we went into the United Nations when we invaded when we went back to uh, counter the invasion of Saddam Hussein of Kuwait uh, in 1991, 1991, we had the backing of the UN at that point. But then we get to 2003, and so without any kind of UN backing, we still go in and we invade Iraq. Now we've gotten to the place that we're launching military strikes in Syria, in Iraq, and we're, we're, we're doing it without the permission of these other uh, of any international body and without any congressional approval or authority, and, and not to mention doing Yemen. So now the United States has gotten to the point where it says we can attack any country we want, and yet we profess to uphold this rules-based international order, you know, this sacred thing that, oh, if, if you, can, you can only attack if you are attacked. Well, mm. that's out the window. And we wonder why the rest of the world looks at us and rec and doesn't believe anything we have to say and has zero respect for us. But we've lost the respect of, I think, the vast majority of the world. They see us as, as a crazed bully. Taking you back uh, to Ukraine for a minute, 
how uh, dangerous is this uh, scenario? A Russian plane carrying 65 or 66 Ukrainian prisoners of war is shot down by an American patriot system inside Russia. This has got to be the first time in history that an American missile has struck down a Russian plane in Russian territory. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And the Kremlin exercises restraint and patience. You can imagine uh, if it were the other way around. Well, let's just, if this was, ta- let's play, apply the Tower 22 principle, that base in Jordan that was hit by, we claimed an Iranian-backed, uh, you know, supported group hit that base. Therefore, we must attack Iran. If If the Russians were using our logic, they would be bombing Washington, D.C. and New York City today or tomorrow. Uh, thank God they're not using our logic or lack thereof. Uh, but uh, you you make the, the correct point that what we are doing by supplying weapons and intelligence to Ukraine that is being used in turn to attack and kill Russian civilians. We're not talking about Russian military targets. And again, this was that plane wasn't a military target, even though it was a military aircraft that it was transporting prisoners of war who are protected under the Geneva Convention. And then just over the weekend, uh, again, with American uh, missiles, the HIMARS system, a bakery with people in buying, you know, eating donuts and drinking coffee, for God's sake, we blow it up, kill over 26 people. And then we, we expect the Russians to sit back and do nothing and to say nothing. You know, because you can imagine the outrage in the United States that would happen if Russia or whoever launched such an attack on a Starbucks and killed 26 people. It would just, you know, so our 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 moral math on this is way off. How far off is our military math? What 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 have we? I know the answer. I know why you're laughing and I'm chuckling, but what have we managed? to destroy or degrade inside Iraq in these 85 some odd, I don't know the exact number, the government admits the 85 attacks yeah. in the past four days. I, I would say very little. Uh, you know, we've rearranged some sand. We've killed some civilians. Um, yeah, they, they, they've caught a couple of warehouses and uh, there look like fireworks cranking off after, after we hit it. But, they, they we're not damaging and destroying their ability to act. 
and, and in fact, what we're doing is feeding in, you know, look, we could go in there and stop it. We, we could take control and end, end the threat, but it would require a commitment of probably 2 million men, God knows how many trillions of dollars. And so it's, it, it's in the realm of the possible, but it certainly doesn't make any kind of sense. And, it, and frankly, the United States isn't willing to make that kind of sacrifice. So, the, the, so my, I always come back to this point. If you're not willing to do what it takes to accomplish that mission, then don't do it. It goes back to what you said earlier. We don't need our troops there. We pull the troops out. We need to try more negotiation. Bashir al-Assad is not predisposed to be our enemy. It is important to recall that in the when ISIS started acting in Syria and they were killing Christians, Syrian Christians, it was Bashir al-Assad who was protecting Christians. And he protected Jews. That's the thing people don't understand. He is not a religious fanatic, but he is a strong Syrian nationalist. Here's Admiral Kirby talking about Iraq, Baghdad Bob himself. Yeah. Uh, yesterday uh, uh, on Fox News, talking about the uh, cut number five, Chris, talking about the authorization for use of military force. What you saw on Friday night was just the first round. There will be additional response actions taken by the administration uh, against the IRGC and these groups that they're backing. There are growing calls from some in on Capitol Hill that they need from the White House you to come to them to ask for authorization for use of military force. Do you think that will come at some point with this specific set of strikes? The president is acting consistent with his uh, Article II responsibilities as commander in chief. Uh, these are self-defense actions that we're taking to prevent and to take away capability from these groups from targeting our troops and our facilities. That's such hogwash, Larry, yeah. but go ahead, please. Well, I, how, how can, you know, well, it's stupid. Kirby's stupid. The Biden administration is stupid because they're, they're assuming that everything's going to go swimmingly well and work out exactly as they want. And it's not. So when it turns sour, when they get another strike on another base in Syria or in Iraq that kills this next time, kills 10 Americans, kills 20 Americans. And the question is going to be asked, wait a second. I thought we were degrading their capabilities. Now they continue to kill our forces, and they kill our forces because we're there as a big fat target. Uh, this is there's long history to this. If back in the you know like 1983, the United States decided it was a good idea to shell Hezbollah in the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, and lo and behold, a terrorist, a guy by the name of Idmag Mugnia, uh, uh, we call him a terrorist. He was a Palestinian. He launched attacks on the U.S. Marine barracks that killed uh, over uh, 50 Marines and then uh, launched attacks on the U.S. Embassy, blew up the U.S. Embassy. So this, this back and forth, this revenge, this retaliation, it's in the air. And there is no Article II authority to just go out and unilaterally launch attacks when we're not even sure who carried it out. And the right. people, this is the point. We're killing people who were not necessarily involved with that attack. So this is this is collective punishment, which again is illegal under the Geneva Convention. And and we killed twenty five civilians. They don't seem to uh, uh, they don't seem to care about that. How oh, how presidents yeah. misuse their authority? Article two, of course, refers to Article two of the Constitution 
which establishes the presidency and the vice presidency, <clears throat> and among other things, says the president shall be commander in chief uh, of the armed forces. But of course, the Constitution also says that only Congress can declare right. war. To Madison, who wrote the Constitution, commander-in-chief meant you're in charge of the troops in wartime. It doesn't mean you can use them however you want and start right. any war you want, because Madison right. also said if the president can start a war and wage a war, he's not a president, he's a prince. It's like a loaded gun in the president's uh, desk ready for him to shoot uh, whenever uh, whenever he wants. Yeah. Um, but this, this is the modern post-Bill Clinton trend to shoot first and look for uh, political support uh, later. How dangerous uh, is Joe Biden playing with fire? Oh, yeah. Look, look at, look at what happened is so we're now into week four of our military strikes against the Houthis in Yemen. So, you know, this, this notion that we can launch airstrikes and that these airstrikes will weaken, uh, decimate, uh, the Houthis in such a way that they can no longer fire anti-ship missiles has been proven to be false. They continue to fire those missiles, and with each strike in Yemen, they become more defiant. And I think we talked about this the other day when there was uh, a, a destroyer had to use the phalanx gun, which is, uh, think of it as a gun that shoots out like a solid sheet of metal. It mm. was, it destroyed a missile that was inbound. Well, one of my buddies who's a retired Navy SEAL commander, he commanded the Hercules Barge uh, in the Persian Gulf during the 1987-88 oil escort operations when we were the Iranians were laying mines. He said, man, this is bad news. He says, because that the, the fact that they had to use the phalanx and that was the, sort of the last ditch measure to stop that inbound missile meant that that missile had evaded and overcome all other air defense systems to get that close. It means it's just a, it's a matter of time before one of those missiles is going to hit and destroy uh, one of our ships. And when you sink a, a destroyer and you're going to wind up with a bunch of dead sailors, well, again, the pressure's going to be on and, well, we're going to have to hit Yemen harder. But the point is, Judge, we're not willing to, to put, an, and I'm not advocating this, but I'm just simply saying that if you decide that Yemen's that kind of threat, then by God, activate your army and go and bait it. But we don't do that because from a military standpoint, it is so costly that it doesn't make sense. And we don't even have the soldiers that are enlisted that could carry out the mission. So we, we have to pull back and stop pretending that we're some mixed martial artist specialist and that we can fight and defeat everybody. You know, got to look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm a fat old guy. I haven't been exercising and working out. And maybe we need to find another way to try to get along with people. Because the reason the Houthis are doing what the Houthis are doing is they want to stop the genocide that's underway in Israel. They want to compel Israel to stop killing the Palestinians, impose a ceasefire. The minute a ceasefire is, imp is imposed, the Houthis are going to stop. And Give them credit. Are we doing all of this as bidding for Prime Minister Netanyahu? I'm not sure it's so much bidding, but it is clearly the Congress, uh, but Senate and House, Republican and Democrat alike, are bought. The majority are bought by 
by the Israeli lobby. You know, you know, you look, this history of the United States being uncritically supportive <clears throat> of Israel started in the mid-1970s, and it coincided when APAC became APAC. It had changed. There had been another name prior to that, and the, the, the previous uh, leader of that lobbying group didn't believe in buying influence. The, his successor did. And so roughly from 1976 until today, so we're almost 50 years, Israel has been very aggressive in using money to buy members of Congress, and members of Congress happily accept the money and, and are very strong in their support of Israel. There's, there are very few that can come up and speak with an independent voice. And when you look at you know some members of, of Congress like Elon Omar and, and uh, Presley and uh, you know, they get attacked, uh, and you know, the, there are other politics that made them a little suspect. But, but the fact of the matter is, it is very, very, very few in the U.S. Congress that'll speak up and out against this uh, needless slaughter that's taking place by the Israelis of the Palestinians. We're going to play a, a tape from <clears throat> RFK Jr. It's difficult to watch because he's uh. He's irritated and he's uh, in a shouting match with the uh, woman that's interrogating him. I'm not even sure what network this, uh, this is. But at the very end, he uses an absolutely incredible line. The Palestinian people are arguably the most pampered people by international aid organizations. Oh, my God. They live in an open-air concentration camp, and they're being slaughtered uh, like nothing since the Holocaust. But you'll you'll hear it in, in a second, and you'll be able to comment. That line out of Bobby, as Bobby's mouth is uh, towards the very end. But here's cut number two, Chris. Netanyahu and his government have said absolutely no. They built up Hamas to try to thwart any sort of Palestinian statehood. But, Where's but the focus I'm, on not, that? I'm not defending Netanyahu. Mm. And I'm not, I, don't, I don't co-sign you know, what Netanyahu and Likud do. Israel is a divided country. Yet 80 or 20% of the population are on the street demonstrating against Netanyahu. What I'm saying is the Israeli the Hamas is a criminal enterprise. Sure. Yes. The, the Palestinian, and you, you talk about solutions for the Palestinian people. The yeah. Palestinian people are arguably the most pampered people by international aid organizations in the history are you of the world. Me? Well, there was a time when uh, small government, maximum individual liberty, pro peace people thought uh, Bobby made sense, but this is, this is crazy. Yeah, the, the the best thing said that was the last line from the uh, from the anchor. She couldn't believe him. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, if you come out and try to talk honestly about what Israel is doing to the Palestinians, and I'm not trying to pretend that there's no history there, and I'm not trying to suggest that uh, you know the Hamas and other Hezbollah organizations have not done some heinous things in the past, and that that, that they're they're innocent as well. But if you actually try to have an honest discussion about this, you can't, at least in the United States, uh, and be part of the mainstream. Uh, you will be attacked, you'll be isolated, and you'll lose friends. And, and, and frankly, I think that's part of what uh, Kennedy's afraid of. Um, he, you know, he wants to be president, and uh, there's money from, he's got some strong Jewish supporters behind him. And that you know, he knows that if he if he comes out and takes a, uh, an even-handed stance with respect to what's going on, he'll lose their support. 
I mean, I've lost friends and, uh, you know, I regret that, but you can't put your head in the sand and ignore what's going on. It's one thing if Israel had attacked the actual Hamas fighters who carried out the October 7 operation. You know, that's, that's, that's fair. You know, you, they shot you, you can shoot them, but that's not what's taking place. Israel is engaged in collective mass punishment. They continue to tell these Palestinian civilians, go to this area, you'll be safe. And as soon as they get there, they start shooting them and bombing them and killing them. And now they're starving them. And then they're preventing aid from reaching them. And then the, the, the most heinous of this is they go out and make this wild accusation that uh, 20, no 12, well, six members of UNRWA, uh, the United Nations Relief Workers Association that's involved with supporting the Palestinians. Uh, oh, they were involved with October 7th without providing a shred of proof, a shred of evidence. But again, if there were six or seven or 12 or 20 or how many were involved out of a 30,000 person organization, you don't punish the whole organization for the actions of a few. That is not the American way, or at least what we once believed was the American way. You hold people accountable for their actions. And that's part of what I think needs to happen with Israel. Israel must be held accountable for its actions because they are criminal. Do you think a point will come when uh, some some military, some state actor, uh, Turkey, Iran, will get involved in uh, degrading the IDF, fighting the back? Well, I, I think the IDF is degrading itself right now. They don't need the help of an outside uh, force. And if they, if they act on what they've threatening to do, which is to turn north and to go after uh, Hezbollah, you know, I, I hesitate saying this. They're, they're, I, I, from a humanitarian standpoint, I don't want to see that because it's going to cause a lot of death and destruction. But from a practical standpoint, I, I hope it happens because that's the only thing that Israel's going to understand when it gets beaten, when it gets defeated in the field, that they'll recognize we can't continue this. And if we do, our entire country is at risk. It's, it's very existence could be threatened. Uh, it, it takes that kind of, you know, it's like when you're dealing with an alcoholic or a drug addict. They've got, they've got to hit rock bottom before they come to a realization, I need help. Israel needs help to recognize that it cannot continue to behave in such a, a terrible criminal way in treating Palestinians as if they are subhuman. You've got to treat them, you know, take that ultimate Jew Jesus, where he said, treat others as you want to be treated. Larry Johnson, uh, thank you very much. A very uh, dramatic and articulate uh, comments as usual, particularly uh, at the end. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at the end of the week with that uh, youngster, uh, McGovern. Thank you, Larry. Always a pleasure. Okay. Another very insightful interview for which I and I suspect you are deeply grateful. Uh, coming up this afternoon, Colonel Douglas McGregor, Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom. <laughs>